to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you doing, Jody? I'm doing alive and not unwell. How about you? I'm about the same. You're about the same. Yes. I'm not unwell, and I think I'm alive, so <laughs> things are all looking up. This is good. This is good. Yes. This is good. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's been going on in your week? Lots of new things. One of them is Luna. Yes. Luna is now here amongst us. Yeah. So we're dating this episode a little bit. Yes. Just a little. Yeah. But who cares? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> By the time of taping, Luna, Luna is has out. already out. Yes. That yeah. is correct. And, um, You've had some interesting observations, right? I have, but they should, will probably touch be, on that. Or maybe no? we should save that for another episode because we're not really talking about Dawes today, per no, se. No, we're not. What are we talking about? I believe we're talking about mixing lead vocals, and it's a two-part series. So that today is part one. Next week is part two. Yes, that's the idea. That's and, the uh, idea. Some different techniques and tips here to how one might approach. Mix, and we should probably preface by saying that we're talking about lead vocals. Well yeah, lead today. vocals. We're yeah, we're about, not talking yeah. backgrounds. Right. Not today, anyway. No. Um, yeah. So when you, well, actually, let's just dive right in, shall we? I'm going head first right along with you. Let's do it. Let's grab that sword and that torch <laughs> and just go for it. I want a Q-tip first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clean it up a little bit. Um, so one tip that you and I like to do, or at least I like to do, I think you're with me on this. This is, is a tip? When, or is this, this a... This is a tip. Okay. Well, this is the general tip of kind of getting started with, when you're mixing. Gotcha. Um, and that is to, if possible, consolidate all your lead vocals onto one track. That might be a style for you. When it's possible, yes, I like to do that because I like to have a nice long track of there's my lead vocal. Right. Now, there, there are a couple of boundaries on that, why I would not do that. And that would be, let's say that you have a vocal line that rings out when the next line comes in. So you don't have that overlap. Yeah, but if overlap. it's just one, right, overlap or underlap or showing with my hands here. Something uh, lap. And you'll have to watch the video for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be worth it. Um, so if I have whether decent enough gaps in between vocal lines, I like to put everything on one track just for the ease of processing. And for me, it just helps get like a better overview of what the lead vocal is doing. Sure, I get that. It's the concept of lead vocal on one track. Yeah, I like that. Good. <laughs> when it's possible. <laughs> uh, so. When, when I say when that's possible, besides the overlapping line syndrome there, sure. right, that, that we might have, um, another thing would be if they're drastically different vocal techniques. Um, let's say that you have a, a verse that's full of proximity effect, and you're really, really up close, and you got a lot of low end and this and that. And it's very, you have, very intimate. Yes. <laughs> Just like now we're whispering in your ear and it's kind of gross and creepy. <laughs> um, but um, so let's say that you have that you have an intimate kind of warm 
soulful vocal and then you get more of like an opening up and and not necessarily a screamy but a lot more projection in the chorus then i'm probably going to want to treat those two differently uh, I might need more compression on the vocal or something to, to even out dynamics or something. And, and if, that, if that's the kind of vocal, I'm not going to place them on the same track. Gotcha. 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 So, yeah. That makes sense. But, but so, do you like to keep things kind of separate when you do your vocal mixing or how – I know we have to say here it's all program dependent, right? <laughs> Cheers. Um, <laughs> Drink up. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it does obviously depend on, on what the song is like. But but whenever possible, I like to have um, lead vocals lead on one vocal. track. Yeah. yeah, the idea yeah. of consolidating and managing your mix by using less tracks. It makes good sense. I don't disagree with it. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the time, it depends, again, program dependent. If yeah. it's a rock song, chances are I'm probably using a single lead vocal track for the entire thing. Chances are. If right. it's a pop track, chances are it's not going to happen that way. If it's a folk singer-songwriter track, chances are it's one lead vocal through the whole thing kind of thing. So right. it is program dependent, and it also depends on how many vocals I've got and what kind of layers are happening. It's dependent on a lot of things, but we're talking about mixing lead vocals, and generally speaking, you try to consolidate for the ease of managing your mix, getting all of your leads onto a single track. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's like you said, they're managing the mix, right? Yes. And so even if you have, let's say, you mentioned a singer-songwriter kind of thing, you might not end up with 100 tracks. No. But it's still, but still the idea of having a manageable number and just the less things that you have to worry about when it comes to the mixing stage, I'm a fan of Yes, that. yes, yes. So one of the things that helps though, when you get to the point where you've done all these different takes and we've kind of, you've, you've kind of hinted at it a little bit is when you have things that are of varying volume levels and I'm doing the same thing you were doing earlier, I'm using my hands, <laughs> must watch video. We're doing right. all this hand shit. Uh, it has a lot to do with getting the gain stages between sections appropriate for each other if you're going to consolidate them down to one track so that Absolutely. things are not ridiculously drastically out like you don't have a vocal that's in the verse that's like super quiet and you can barely hear it and then you got a pre-chorus that's coming up into a moderate level and then of course it's like really goddamn loud and it's like holy shit so yeah you want to make sure you get the gain stages between all those relatively similar in terms of like what's going on so that your Instruments that you use to mold that thing into shape don't go haywire in between sections. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that that if you're using it, chances are you're going to be using some kind of compression on vocal, uh -huh. um, on the vocal track. So you're making the compressor work less hard if you have that, if you have more or less like an even level. And so you can do that with... Um, clip gains, just bring it up and down, uh, having that you can do with automation. Uh, automation, I like to leave to a later stage when I do that. Sure. Because to, to bring out certain words. So, um, but and I think to clarify about clip gain, you're referring to the regions in an arrangement on a DAW, not like actually 
clip gain as in like yes. gaining the volume to clip yes 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 absolutely yeah um so i i would you know we're we're logic users. i think that the term is actually clip gain in in isn't in, it region in gain or is it clip gain in, in, in pro tools in, I don't in know. pro tools i think yeah okay. yeah but uh, we're talking about the same thing where you have like your little snippet of audio and you you make sure that that is more or less of an equal level to to the region prior right so, and another thing we should probably clarify about volume between different regions or clips in the arrangement is normalizing a piece of audio which is the process of like taking everything so that whatever's the loudest in that particular region goes to zero not the right idea no. No bad idea. Use your ear, not your meters, and no normalizing. Normalizing yeah. is a bad idea when it comes to getting your volume levels to be the same. Yeah. Cause <laughs> Just again, saying. You're, yeah, because you, you're not dealing with – you're dealing with the actual peaks, and they have very little to do with the average level of, of said audio. Correctamundo. So, yeah. So um, balancing that. And also – don't fall for the temptation as well of when you're doing this adjustment, just looking at the waveforms because that might not necessarily, I mean, you can use it as a gauge, but use your ear because something, just because something looks like it, oh, it should be at the same level. It doesn't mean that it is. New, so, new, 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 so new. use your ear yes. and uh, get it as balanced as you can. Now that doesn't mean that the, in the final mix, everything is going to be at the same level, obviously. No, but. At your starting point and your processing will be a lot easier to, to deal with that, especially if you're on one single track. Yeah, I, I can concur with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now we, we move got on our, to some processing. Let's. We got our whole track consolidated, consolidated more or less at an even level. Yeah. So what step is next for Mr. Whitesides? Well, um. Running a channel strip of obviously the processing that's going to be happening on there. There's mm -hmm. a couple of different ways that you can approach getting a vocal massaged into place in a mix. One of them is to do all the processing on the channel strip itself, which is somewhat of something that I do. And then another one is to use parallel processing where you right. send things out to buses and they come back on trains or something of that nature. <laughs> yeah, throwing all the technical terms here, right? That's right. Um, no, but, but that, that's true. So w the type of processing that we have in line on the channel, we're generally talking um, compression and EQ, that type of thing. Yeah, right. or if you've yeah. got some specialized software like console emulations, maybe you're using a particular console's EQ and compression Right. Yeah. Console emulation. Like if in your case, you're a UAD guy, you might have that. I, I tend to use the Slate stuff. Yep. Uh, so yep. there's that kind of processing where you, you're treating the audio as a chunk and it's not just uh, going out to ascend and doing that. Right. Um, so what is your preferred order? I mean, there's people discuss all the time, like, is it... EQ before compression? Is it EQ after compression? What, what do you like to do generally? Here comes that phrase again, program dependent. Right. <laughs> it kind of depends. 
It actually doesn't even kind of depend. It really depends upon the source of the audio. If something is like super brittle and bright on the top end, I'm probably going to EQ that prior to hitting the compressor. Right. If something is super bassy, same story, probably going to do some EQing on it prior to hitting the compressor. But if something is generally very well recorded and everything's pretty much where it should be, compressor goes first, EQ goes second. That's generally how I will do it. Actually, it's not even general. That's pretty much how I do it, just like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if something's way out of whack, I fix it EQ-wise prior to hitting the compressor. If it's not way out of whack, compressor goes first, EQ goes after. So, And even then, if I'm EQing first and then compressing because I'm trying to fix something, I'm still likely to EQ after I compress. Yeah, correct. I, I would, I would agree with that. I think you can say a hard and fast rule, if you will, is that any kind of corrective EQ, you know, getting low rid of, like you said, low end rumble or something like that, or or just annoying frequencies, right? That, that yep. might have been a bad mic choice or something, and you need something to get like rid of. Nee! Nee! Yeah, you, you you might want to correct that before you hit the compressor, <laughs> and then you might sweeten stuff after the compressor if you yeah. need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And that's, that's just directly right on the channel strip right there. Correct, yeah. Because you want to correct the, the entire signal with that. Um, and um, one thing that we should note here as well is I think it's really important, and it took me a minute to, to wrap my head around this or, or get it into my, my head. Um, don't mix any instrument in solo mode unless you're like correcting little issues when you're mixing it's sort of like final levels and sweetening eq that kind of thing do it in the context of the mix well you so, just jumped a whole lot of steps right there well i thought <laughs> that actually is because we're talking about correcting stuff sure. and we'll probably come back to it again and repeat that type of idea but because um, it's important it is very important because then when you bring it back into the mix, like, ooh, what happened to my vocal? It sounded awesome. <laughs> well, by, by itself. itself. And then all or of a sudden it's whatever in the instrument, right? The mm. same thing goes for that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so another thing that we should probably bring up as well, um, we talked about getting the levels even or kind of where you wanted using um, – raising the level of the region or, or just clip gaining. We'll, we'll call it that. We'll, we'll use the Pro Tools word for right now. Okay. Um, but it's also um, important to not let a compressor just handle the duty of leveling everything out. Um, well, you might want to use level uh, or audio <laughs> automation to, to kind of do that. I Damn know, it. Now uh, I don't know what to do. I'm just I know. Kidding. It would be so much easier. I'll just, yeah, I'll just slap a compressor on it and let that mix itself. Um, it's what the LA-2A does. <laughs> <laughs> the mix just itself kidding. plugin. Yeah. Um, but no, so don't, don't think of, of uh, or try not to think or resist the temptation of thinking that just putting a compressor on it, you won't have to do any What about a limiter? Same thing there. If you want to squeeze all the life out of your audio track that the vocalists try to do and just, yeah, let's do that. Just limit everything and it's going to be loud and awesome, right? Because no. loud is so cool. 
Yeah, because <laughs> people don't have volume knobs on their units that they're listening to. That's right. Um, I'm sorry, my old <sighs> fart is showing here. Again. <laughs> Your old fart. Uh, Better yeah. get some young fart coming in. <laughs> right. Um, so no, so, but but that's the processing of that. So now we've got. Let's say that we have a a beautiful sounding piece of audio with um, our compression and EQ. Yeah. Next step, what what might we want to add? Oh, some reverb or some delay or some slapback delay or flange or chorusing or vocal synth. Who knows? There's all kinds of things that could be thrown at something depending on what the vocalist and the band wants and what the mixing engineer can finagle. It almost sounds like you're saying that this is program dependent, right? Almost, almost. Yeah. I mean, we're already like three shots in on that shit. Yeah, it's going to be get a long a day. Bottle today. of Jack. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but in all seriousness, there, there's, you know, obviously it depends on what, what the song calls for in this case. Um, but the two big ones that, that we tend to hear and use most of the time is reverb and delay. Yes, right? sir. Um, and these are generally, not always, but generally are placed on ascend, right? Um, where that would be parallel. That would be parallel. So another thing uh, that you can do in, well, let's continue on the reverb and EQ thing, because there's another thing that you can do in parallel that we kind of skipped right over and we can add in. What, do you want to go back into that and do that uh, first? Well, it has to do with actually, it's it's more of an effect issue than it is. So we'll just treat it as an additional effect after we get over this reverb and delay okay. stuff. Let's do that. Yes. So um, choosing delay and reverb, um, just do your favorite preset, right? And go for it. No. Um, there are different types of reverb obviously, and depending on the track, um, I think you should choose wisely, something that's gonna work for that. It's very tempting, again, when you have, uh, you're listening to just a vocal and you have this nice long plate and it's gonna, oh, it's gonna sound awesome, and then it gets washed out in the mix, right? So- Yeah, and um, plate is a type of reverb for those that don't know. Yes. Um, so, but, but speaking of reverbs, what, what kind of reverb treatment do you, generally go for reverb let's say that treatment? you're doing you're you're doing your own music you're doing more like a pop kind of track so what, what do you tend to go with i go with and now for a word from our illustrious sponsors and now we're back all right so let's get back into it uh in terms of what i'm doing i'm usually using multiple reverbs and multiple delays a lot of the okay. time right what and kind of reverbs do you like to use well when I say multiple reverbs, generally speaking, I'm I'm attempting to use two reverbs on a lead vocal, and one of them is a very short reverb mm -hmm. to give kind of an immediate little presence around the space of the vocal. The second reverb is usually more of a tail thing, so that there's a little bit of a flutter on the back, not a flutter, but just a long trail that has a lot less to the girth of the sound, but more to just an ambient kind of feature, an air kind of thing. That's a general sense. And then I'll right. do the same thing with a delay. I'll use a very short delay, sometimes a slap that's in stereo and slightly differently timed so that it gives 
a little bit more space around that as well. And then a second delay that may be quite a bit longer that's tucked in and generally side chains so that when the lead vocal is doing something, you really don't hear the delay. But when it comes back out, it kind of just sneaks into the mix. Right, right. Just a, that, adds a lot of character and depth. Yes. Now, that, that's a cool trick, actually, where you, you place a compressor on said delay return mm -hmm. and you actually have the vocal trigger that side chain. So by, when the lead vocal is happening, the uh, the delay signal drops. And when you're not singing, that kind of sneaks back in. It's a very cool little tip. Yes, um, sir. But you said with your reverbs there, you said you have one more for a little bit more of an ambience type of thing. Yep. The initial one. Um, and when you're saying ambience, what, what, are you, what are you talking about as far as like reverb time, that kind of thing? You're talking... We're talking less than a second now, right? Yeah, it's generally very short. It's very quick uh, and generally contains more of the body of the sound. But again, right. this is also program dependent, but it gets the vocal to sound spacious without sounding super intimate. Or mm -hmm. I guess a better, I reverse that. It sounds a little bit more intimate without being overly spacious, but gives it a good sense of where it is in side a room or uh, a space for that matter in the mix and that becomes dependent upon the tempo of the song and what the spatiality is of the rest of the instruments so a lot of it comes down to what space am i trying to create for each instrument and how does it fit within everybody else's or with every other instrument's space regardless of whether it's a vocal or a guitar yeah yeah, it, that's a very good point because, again, it's, it can be very tempting to have these big, lush rooms or halls or plates or anything like that, and it sounds great, but it just turns into this big soupy mess when you kind of got keyboards and, and, and guitars and stuff going on. Not even a stew, a soupy mess. A soupy <laughs> mess, it all just swirling together. That's and, right. Uh, and you wonder yeah. where the clarity and the neg uh, the intelligibility went in terms yeah. of your vocal. Right. You don't want to wonder that, unless it's on purpose. Yeah. And from my experience also, when you're talking about the, the ambient reverb, you can get away with just quite little of it, actually. But it just does something to the vocal where if you if you listen to it and you go, oh, well, that, I can't really pick up on it. But then if you take it out, it, it really loses that dimension. So just having something where you place it in a little bit of a space and it could be, um, I have some IRs from Bricosti and things that I like to use for that one. It's just like an ambience kind of thing, but it could also be like a small wooden room or something like that. But don't be too aggressive with those uh, return levels. Um, or the send levels. Or the Whichever levels. way you do it. Yeah, however you blend it, right? Um, and um, so we're talking the next step then, I think that with, with the halls or possibly plates, that type of a thing, where you have a little bit more of the tail that you send that places it to a little bit bigger beauty fairy dust on top of the kind of vocal there, right? I like uh, that one, fairy dust. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sprinkly. So when you're doing that, how careful are you with having the tails go in the tempo of the song? Is that something that you're generally concerned with or is it just, no, this just kind of feels good. Uh, it's going to be, 
it's going to be somewhat washed out anyway, so I, I, I don't care. Or is it, do you think, oh, no, it's going to ring for two beats or, or a bar or something like that? Is that something that you're, you're concerned about? The concern part comes from more of the pre-delay for me. Uh-huh. And yeah. I actually have a BPM chart that I refer to often depending on tempo of song and yeah. uh, the division of the beat that I'm looking for in terms of the pre-delay. The tail end comes more from a feel factor. So if the tail is starting to be like so long that it's really smearing over the, the next vocal line, yeah, I'm probably going to reduce the length of that if it's not feeling right and it's starting to feel smeared. Sure, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, because I, I unless I really want something to be smeared, which is not very often, I have yeah. to be. Con I have to be considerate of that. Yeah. So that um, the pre-delay time. Where do you normally place that? Of course, again, that's, that's going to be dependent on the song and stuff. But well, that's highly dependent upon the tempo, right? Well, highly. that of course, but but that division, do you tend to do that as like a thirty-second note, a sixteenth yes. note, that type of thing? It usually does not go over a sixteenth note, but most often it's a thirty-second. Yeah, sometimes okay, so it's you, a sixty-fourth, but most often it's a thirty-second. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Math. And that just all about that, the math. Right. And, um, you know, what's the formula there? When you take 60 and divide it by the BPM of the song and you get the millisecond for yes. the delay. So, yeah. So well, I just, uh, I, I now have a chart. I just refer to the chart. Yeah. <laughs> what's my BPM? What's my division? Boop, oh, there it is. Right. Okay. I got yeah, to type but in that, that But number. that is the formula anyway, right? You yeah. have the 60 seconds per minute and you divide that by the beat or the tempo of the song and you get the millisecond. Uh, as a result there. But, um, yeah. um, okay. So and it's the same it thing with the delays too. My delays are always tempo synced and then I will fudge them a little bit by yeah. a few, like not necessarily samples, but like millisecond milliseconds to just kind of give the feel so that there's not just rigid timing, unless it recalls for rigid timing. But usually I don't like the vocals to be so quite so rigid. So essentially I will fudge them, especially if they are stereo delays so that they get just kind of a little bit of an offset. And again, I'm mm -hmm. using my hands. So you would have to see this <laughs> on video. Jazz hands. Um, <laughs> jazz hands to just kind of get, cause that gives that a little bit of a sense of space and movement when you do that. Yeah. And it's, I, I do the same thing actually, whether that's on vocal or might be a lead guitar or something like that. Um, but we're talking where, vocals here, so don't, we're talking delay, vocals don't get that, out but of it's, that. Yeah, don't, don't get into guitars today, Chris. Um, but a little bit goes a long way. So even if you do it like, like you know, five or 10 milliseconds on each one. Oh, like, I wouldn't even that go that on. far. I might. Yeah. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah. No, it depends. Again, it's dependent, but. Right. Yeah. See how much you and how wet that delay is. How 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 much is coming is. back? How much the feedback? How many yeah. feedback? Uh, or how many delays are coming back at you? Yeah, it's all. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I want to bring up as well on as far as like the reverb, um, it's a trick usually referred to as the Abbey Road trick. I believe. Oh no! What is Abbey Road and what's the trick? Tell us. Well, Abbey Road is a famous studio in London. No, but, uh, you don't say. Yeah. Uh, I even yeah. saw an article about this this morning that Paul McCartney would prefer to record at Abbey Road than in his bedroom, even though he loves Billie Eilish. I thought that was interesting. 
but I well, never yeah, will. yeah, but he, <laughs> he has a bit of a track record at yeah, he at, sort at of Abbey does. Road. He's done some cool stuff there. Um, <laughs> And yeah, they recorded and, in the middle of the night when they weren't bothered. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's kind of like recording in your so bedroom, he can do in a sense. whatever he wants, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, no, but, but the Abbey Road trick um, with regards to reverb mm. is to have a shelf EQ cut pretty severely the high frequencies of the reverb as well as the low end. Um, so Where you're you kind of just leaving the body is what you're saying. Yeah. And I did not know that this was known as the Abbey Road trick. It's just yeah, something I, I do it, anyway. It, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's the um probably comes from now somebody who I'm sure will correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think it comes from the engineers at Abbey Road that they used to do that. Um where or it could have been just that's how their reverbs worked at the time. But, but but the effect is really, really cool. You can actually get away with a lot wetter of a signal yeah. um, without it just getting super washed out. So you can go, you know, you can go as low as, well, you can go as low as you want, but um, anything over like 3K, so on the high end and, you know, maybe three to 500 on the low end, but just season that to taste. But the idea of, of doing a cut or a shelf cut um, on the low and the high end on the reverb. And this is, is EQ that this is EQ that happens after your reverb on your send. So it's on the same channel strip as your reverb. You put an EQ after the reverb to do this EQ move that you're talking about. Correct. Correct. And I've even heard people experimenting with doing this cut before the reverb on the on the actual reverb track or the, the channel strip uh, sure. uh, with the reverb so that you're basically just not sending those frequencies. I tend to do it after the fact. So I gotcha. send the whole signal to the reverb and then I do the cutting after or that. If you, or if and, you're a Logic uh, that, user and you have Space Designer, you yep. can use Space Designer and that has a built-in EQ right in it, which yes. is pretty awesome. Yeah. There are other reverb units that do that. Um, Lustrous Plates has that as well. I think it's cool. Sonics that do that. So Altiverb, but, but yeah. I think has yeah, Altiverb has yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid of EQing your your reverbs. Is it you know very, very beneficial. Don't so. be afraid. Get a handle on it. Yeah. Nobody's gonna die. It's gonna be <laughs> fine. Um so now we've covered the reverbs, we've covered some da delays. And and by mm -hmm. the same token on the reverbs and EQing them. Delays, same story. You can sure. actually do some more in incredible stuff with delays by EQing them and removing high and low end. That gets them to sit better in the mix too, or gives them a spatial frequency that's separate from the lead vocal. So you can yeah. do the same thing with your delays. Yeah. And now, there I tend to be a lot of times, I, I tend to be even more heavy handed. On the delays. With, especially, Yeah where I would, yeah, cut a little bit lower, actually. Because it just, it, it can give you that vibe and it has, uh, unless you're calling for um, a really sort of high-endy, techy kind of sound with all the sparkle, fairy dust again, I'll use that word. Um, <laughs> but you can get a little bit of a warmer kind of vibe out of your delay if you, you know? end up cutting a lot out. Here's yeah. what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? That's a really good two-minute Tuesday tip right there. How you're going to EQ your delays on your returns. 
There you go. Cool. Done. I'll make sure it happens. Bingo, bango, boingo. All right. Yeah. So in terms of this whole parallel and sending things to buses and stuff, one thing we didn't really mention was the concept of using yet another compressor yes. in parallel. So what I mean by that is you would do a send to a bus and have a compressor on it that's set kind of extreme. And then you feed that compressor the signal that then comes back really compressed. And you tuck that back in into the lead vocal to give it more beef without giving it a ton more volume. Yeah. And you still get the dynamics of the original performance. Yes, you, just you get count the dynamics. It like it's your... Here's your energizer send, Kevin. <laughs> your energizers. Uh, and I believe that terminology is called New York compression. Yes. And we're we're usually thinking about that in terms of drums. Like yes, it's usually a drum thing, yeah. but it's a cool thing to do with vocals as well. Don't yeah. always have to do it, but it is a cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like I said, it can beef up that vocal a little bit because you just girthing it up a little bit to quote your phrase or we'll, we'll add a little bit more girth to it um, a little more foundation please yes so um we talked about the, now one thing here um we should bring up as well and this is one of those things it's no rules to this obviously but um a lot of people talk about you know the, the sweet spot of compressors generally compressors that are emulating hardware units of hardware yeah. yes so it's now the, the the thing that most people don't want to hear and i certainly didn't want to hear is usually <laughs> well just use your ear and, and if it sounds good it is good right oh, you know people like to think oh no there's a right way you have to do this it's going to be this and you know everything is going to be all right with the world but there are a couple of different ideas. I fairly recently saw uh, Chris Lordalgy do a mix online where the, um, let's say, a certain classic plugin company um, have released emulations of the uh, 1176 and the LA-2A and also the LA-3A. Um, but those were Chris Lordalgy's actual hardware units. So he knows those units inside and out. One and would hope. In this, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. He's also a guy, right? He, he's done some cool stuff. Um, he should stick with it and he can accomplish stuff, right? Right? Um, yeah. That, he's got a career it. going. He's, yeah. he's definitely got something that could be a career. Right. That That's a joke. <laughs> Call me, of course. Um, no but, offense, Chris. We love you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but this I thought was interesting because he said that um, he was using an 1176, the blue stripe, in this video. And he said that the default setting that comes up when you pull up that plugin, that's how he has that set in his rack. Yes, so I did see he that. Said, he did say yeah, that. Right. And he said, this is the sweet spot. And I like to get my lead vocal here to get about three to four dB of reduction. So instead of what you would normally do is increase the input or, or lower the input, 
uh, on 1176 to get the desired reduction, he uses a plugin, or in this case, I think it was a, a Pro Tools session, he used clip gain to adjust that, that region's level to hit the, uh, the sweet spot of the input of his uh, 1176 emulation. I thought yes. that was really, really interesting. I'd never approached it that way, uh, but if you really want to nerd out, go for it. No, that's a good way a to look result. at it. I'm yeah. pretty sure that that's how most of the plug-in manufacturers, they go, this is where the sweet spot of this unit is, and that's your default setting. Right. And if you're making adjustments beyond that, more power to you, but right. pay attention but, but, to that stuff. Yeah. So it's something now, I, I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, get super anal about that kind of stuff. It's, oh, it has to be this, but, but it's worth a shot, right? Yes. You, you give it a try and you see, and uh, you might get some surprisingly good results doing that. Um, so that that's just a little bit of a techie, nerdy side that I, I wanted to bring up when we're dealing with that. Um, but jumping back ahead to space time effects here. The space time um, continuum. So, yes. Where's my flux capacitor? You broke it. <laughs> um, obviously, we're dealing with these on sends. Yes. Most, most of the time. Um, and one of the things that we're talking about today here is having the lead vocal on one track. So that means that let's say we had that dynamic, sensual verse that we talked about before, right? You mm. might want more reverb on that than you do in the chorus. Sometimes you might get away with just having the same level all the way through. You might, but here's you know, a chance where you might have to just automate that sense. So uh, if you have everything on one vocal or on one- One track in the arrangement. Well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> it is. Um, you may have to just automate the uh, the sound levels to, to your wet effects there, but you're generally keeping the core of that that audio with the compression and the EQ the same as you're going through there. So, um, so you're automation. saying get used to using some automation. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Dig yeah. It. yeah. I, I'm big fan of automation. Yeah. <laughs> Automation's uh, a wonderful thing. So you don't have to dance around all the time. Cause that right. was one thing that Chris Lord Algae and other mixer engineers required prior to the whole computer revolution. They'd have to remember every single move they did. And then that yeah. was the one version of that mix. That was it. You weren't recreating right, yeah, that. Before you could program the SSL and, and that kind of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, on an A side to that, here's another super deep nerdy um, thing here. But um, it was a Mutt um, Lang thing where, you know, when, I think it was, was it Mike Sheps, but it was one of his engineers anyway that they were talking about i think it were they were doing the or a shania twain record at the time where they asked well, how do you get that super upfront vocal sound without it being super sibilant or just annoying and he would tell the stories where they were actually sitting with parametric eqs in their lap during mix down stage and they would by hand automate certain syllables up and down to kind of ride that in a live mix down situation. I've done that. Not with, a, not with a unit in my lap, but actually automating EQ moves. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they would actually do it in real time. Oh no, that's, like with I, that, hardware. that's scary. That's, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> Damn it, Chris, you screwed up the mix one more time. Do it from the top again. You know. Right. Yeah. So that that's practice um, makes perfect. Yeah, and I mean that um, the tools that we have today <laughs> make all that, that job stuff very yeah. easy by comparison. Yeah. So when we complain about the plugin can't do a certain thing, maybe we should think twice. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so. Um, that kind of covers it, right? I think that kind of covers it. We talked about placing everything on one track, treating EQ. Um, Where you're putting EQ compression. before and after compression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sends for your effects. Yeah. And um, volume well, levels. Well, one thing that, that, that we haven't talked about, we'll just do this uh -oh. and wrap up after that. Uh oh. Um, how much do you like to compress your vocal on, on the main track, so to speak? By how. Do you tend to, and you do this, we could nerd out just a little bit more. We got a couple of minutes here, but you like to place, and this is where I think you and I do it slightly differently, but I think you like to, your first go-to compressor is an LA-2A, yes, on your vocal? A lot of the time, yes. Yeah. And it is how a very much, lovely compressor for vocals. Yes. And how much do you tend to... Again, I know this is program dependent, <laughs> but um, Actually, you want an explanation? <laughs> yes, is that I what do you're getting at? You want an I, explanation? That's what I'm getting at. Please okay. explain yourself. All right. So many years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, when I used to record everything as clean as possible with no compression and no EQ on the way in, I would compress the living snot out of it on the back end while mixing, and it mm -hmm. always tended to sound kind of awful. So now imagine I do, a, yeah, right, imagine that. I want as a dynamic, I want it to be as close to the real source as it was when I recorded it. Bullshit. No, now I actually think about getting as close to the sound as I can prior to even tracking so that in tra once it goes from tracking to mixing, it becomes a lot easier to mix. So when I'm recording, I will use a compressor, and it won't be super heavy, but at the loudest points of the vocalist or whoever it is I'm recording, probably going to hit the needle no more than a minus three. Yeah. Like moving the needle so, so at a two three. Or, two so it's three a two to three dB. dB thing on the way in as I'm recording it. Nothing that's like super obvious when you're listening to it. Then right. in the mix stage, on my channel strip, I will have a compressor and it will only be compressing about another two, maybe three dB there. Then it goes to a bus for the vocal sub thing and there's another compressor there doing about another two to three db so over the course of everything it might be about six to nine db of compression but it's been done in stages yeah that is like literally 95 percent of the time that's how i'm working with compression right. so on vocal so beyond tracking now, when you have it on your your lead vocal line but what can do you go for another la2a or what what do you tend to do Yes and no. It depends, again, on the song. So some songs I'll actually track and deal with everything using 1176s, which is more of a limiter than it is a compressor. Well, um, it's, it's certainly very, very fast attacks. Yeah, it's very release, fast yeah. attacks and it's a little bit different. So it really becomes dependent upon the song of like, do I choose an LA-2A? Do I choose an 1176? Do I choose a Fairchild? Do I choose something else? Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is dependent upon the character that I want that suits the song. 
So there is no right or wrong answer. But generally, if I'm using an 1176 vibe, I'm going to use different versions of the 1176 for different reasons. Because there's one 1176 that only ha that has a, a 2 dB button. Most of them have four is their right. minimum. So, four, eight, 12, and 20, yeah. Yeah. So the other one I think is two, eight, 12, and 20 or something like that. Hmm. So uh, I will use the the that one in conjunction with the others just for various reasons so that I don't get as much compression or limiting out of it. Same thing with the LA-2A. Various generations of the LA-2A had different speeds to what they do. So I'll choose the slower speeds to start and usually end up with the faster speeds at the end of the chain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I tend to do the exact opposite. <laughs> start with the faster <laughs> ones and go to the slower? Yes, because generally what, what my way of thinking is that with a vocal, if I'm doing anything up front, I want to just catch random peaks. So, But, but I would do the same thing, the same kind of idea where um, I might not even compress the entire vocal, right? It would just catch those highest peaks just to kind sure. of even that out. And then at the next stage, I would use like an LA-2A to kind of massage it even a little bit more so it kind of sits in that but again um unless you're going for like we said the parallel effect or anything that where you might crush it as shit right but but uh i would more often than not just like you um two to three db four tops just in stages kind of yeah. going through to get a little bit more of a of a more transparent result i suppose and then obviously even before then i would add vocal automation, just level automation. So it, yeah, it yeah, could yeah. hit even harder. Yeah. Um, so there we go. I think part we kind of ended that with, yeah, part one. Next part time. Part one is done. Part two <laughs> will be what we're talking about when we're not on the same vocal track. That's right. Uh, when you have lead vocals may, on multiple tracks. Yeah. And, and why, why you do that. And yeah, exactly. All right. That's going to do it for me then, Jody. All right, Chris. That'll Thank do it so for much. me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week or you'll hear us next week. Bye.